Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of our very lives, Lord, and we dedicate those lives to you. Lord, for those that do not know you, Lord, we speak, we ask that you speak to their hearts and their minds today to open up their hearts and their minds so they may hear your message, Lord. Speak through case today, Lord, and we'll just let his words be your words so that we can fill our hearts and our minds as we leave here today with what you called us to do, to be more, to make more and better followers of you. Let us uh, fill Flower Mound, let's fill Texas, let us fill the world with your love and your words. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to take time real quick. If you are a service uh, man or woman or family member or friend of, we want to thank you guys for uh, service for our country, the fact that, that we're free uh, as Americans. So just wanted to say thank rec- thank you, recognize you guys. Uh, maybe do a round of applause. We did the last service. Yeah. So thank you. If you want to... You want to open your Bibles to Luke 19 is where we'll be today. And then Tommy's actually going to bring me my illustration. Ron said I had to have an object illustration today because we're doing the family stuff. So, kids, this one's for you. This is the fifth and sixth greatest invention of all times right here. Fifth and sixth greatest invention. If you don't know what that is, thank you, Tommy. This is a wakeboard and a life preserver. So the life preserver is number six because it saves your life. When you're on number five. So if you want to know the list of greatest inventions of all times, number one would be the woman. Number two would be the wheel. Number three would be the truck. Number four is the boat and then the wakeboard. And so you kind of succeed. And they all go together. Um, and so obviously there's there's a wheel involved trying to get the, you know, the truck and the boat actually on the water. And the boat's necessary for pulling this board. The jacket is necessary for life preserving. And then women are very important on the boat because they give men the courage to do stupid things on the board while they're watching. So, anyways, greatest in, greatest inventions. You're welcome for that. I hope you enjoyed that list. Write it down. Keep it. Share it with your children and their children and their children for all time. So, anyways, but this is my favorite sport uh, in the world. I used to love baseball and football, which I, I still love. But this literally is the, is my favorite thing to do is to wakeboard. I love the summer. I love the water. And so I'm a wakeboarder. As a wakeboarder and a father now, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. My five-year-old daughter, I've begun to teach to wakeboard. Um, and I started last year when she was four and had a smaller board that strapped on her. And I got in the water and gave her a rope and began to pull her just myself out of the water. And she got the basics, which was surprising because she's four, but she understood the sitting and how you get up the whole deal. And she was actually standing up as I was pulling her. So I got the great idea. Let's hook her to a jet ski. Good job, dad. And so I asked her to this jet ski. She's in the water alone. And I say, hang on, it's going to be great. And so we, we make an attempt to go, well, she wasn't strong enough to hang on to the rope. And so I had to come up with a new plan on how to teach my daughter to wakeboard. Because, I mean, the ultimate goal as a dad is for when they're in high school, that they will want to do the same things that dad is doing. And so we can do those together. And I will have friends to wakeboard with still when I am in my 40s and in my 50s. I can still wakeboard with my kids. So that's that's my goal. And so this year, I've started a new approach, and I put her on the board with me to teach this time. I actually have a picture, not on a wakeboard, but on a, uh, it's a surfboard behind a boat. This was last, not this weekend, but last weekend, uh, Tanner and I started wakeboarding together. Like I said, that's wake surfing, which is a different concept a little bit, and it's a lot safer. But the the wakeboard part, literally, I, I told her she's in the boat, and I'm wakeboarding, and I said, hey, get in the water. So she jumps in the water, and I said, you're going to wakeboard with Dad, and just turned around, set her on the on the board, and there we went. 
And so great experience. Um, again, this is my object illustration. I'm going to do my best to tie into what we're teaching today. And so if you don't get it, that's okay. Just forget about the board, all right? Just erase it from your memory. It actually it, it made a decent connection in the last service, so I'll, I'll try to do it again again if you're confused. I apologize. I'm doing my best. So Luke 19. Again, glad you're here. Welcome. If you don't know, my name's Case. I am the now high school and Sunday night pastor. I was the student pastor. We're bringing in a middle school guy who will start at the end of August, and I'm doing high school in our Sunday night service that we're starting. So that's who I am. In Luke 19, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus today. Our title is A Short Man in a Tree. That's as creative as I get. You're welcome. Short man in a tree. Because there's a short man involved, and he gets in a tree. So, chapter 19, verse 1 starts out, says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. We're actually going to look at three different stories, Zacchaeus, and then we're going to look at a blind man, and we're also going to look at a rich ruler in the last chapter as well. But we'll start there. Jesus enters Jericho. Now, this is Jesus' last stop on his way to Jerusalem. The rest of, of Luke is a, uh, a story about Jesus entering Jerusalem on trial, and he you know, goes on trial, and then he dies for us in, in the entire gospel presentation. There you go. But this is his last stop before he gets to Jerusalem. So he's on his way into Jericho. Well, right before that, in chapter 18, verse 35, Luke writes and he says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And then the end of this passage reads, when, reads, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. I want you to take that and just put it in your pocket for a little while, and we're going to come back to it. But the idea, these people are watching this happen. There's a blind man. He's yelling out for Jesus. They say, hey, be quiet. He yells louder, and Jesus brings him and says, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to see. And a miracle occurs, and the man receives his sight. All these people are watching, and they praise God for a miracle, because that's a good thing. When a bland, when a, a bland man... When a blind man as well is able to see, but when a blind man is able to see, that's a miracle. And it's a good thing. That's positive. We are excited when people with disabilities miraculously overcome them. And the crowd rejoices and they praise God for this. Again, I want you to just hold on to that because we will come back. It says, as Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So Luke goes on in his story and begins to develop a character for us. And he does it in a process. He says there was a man there from Jericho, and his name was Zacchaeus. And if you didn't know, he was a chief tax collector. And if you're not familiar with that, he was a rich man. If we go back and, and look throughout Luke's gospel, rich people typically were not successful in their encounters with Jesus. Usually was not a positive result walking away a wealthy person. If we go back and look at chapter 18, in verse 18, like I said, this is the other story we're just going to briefly look at. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. 
All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter or how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So as Luke writes this orderly account, he's writing to a man named Theophilus to share the gospel with him. As he's writing, he writes about a rich man who approaches Jesus who in that community, within that religious belief system, would have been deemed as a righteous man. This guy's a good guy. Here we go. And he walks away sad because Jesus calls him to give away everything he has and sell the poor, or sell everything he has and give to the poor and follow Jesus. Jesus says, how hard is it for somebody who's rich, somebody of wealth, to enter the kingdom of God? It's as if taking a massive beast and sticking it through the eye of a needle. And then right after that, we have the story of a rich tax collector. In verse 3 of chapter 19, we go on with our story of Zacchaeus. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Which I I obviously have a lot in common with Zacchaeus, uh, because I have a lot of money and I'm short. I don't really... But fine, I'm wealthy. Um, I mean that like I'm not hurting. I, you know, we're free here. We have a surplus. A rich man is actually defined by you have a surplus. You have access. Most of us in this room fit in that category, regardless of what the dollar sign is. We, I mean, we, for the most part, do not understand wealth and rich and, and those things because we, anyways, I'm sorry. We have access. But I'm short. I'm five, seven and a half which is not tall. This man was not tall either. He wasn't a wee man, though. How many of you guys have heard that? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Wee little man was he. Sycamore tree. Okay. I really thought everyone would join in and we could sing and dance and clap and we'd be going. No. It's fine. Not a big deal. No, so he's not a wee man. He's just a short guy. And and literally says uh, in height he was small or he was short. Uh, And it says he could not see because of the crowd. So Zacchaeus starts out with an obstacle. He actually has two obstacles in terms of, of wanting to see Jesus. It says he has a desire, a longing to see who Jesus is. And that statement is encased with two obstacles. One, he's a rich man. But again, we see throughout Luke, most of the time rich people are not successful in this quest for Jesus, request for God. And so that's one obstacle is his wealth. His other obstacle is just physically, he's too short to see over the crowd. But he has a longing to see Jesus. And says, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here you have a guy who's rather short. The average man, I think, was like 5'5 five, five in that day. And so he's a little shorter than that probably. Or short enough that he can't see over somebody who's 5'5". Five, five. He's a short guy, but he's very wealthy again. He's a chief tax collector. He's not just a tax collector. He's a superintendent or somebody who's been contracted out by Rome to oversee the collecting of tax. He employs other tax collectors and then collects. 
makes it the, the process would work. He would be uh, contracted out by Rome, and he would pay Rome what was owed, and then he would go from there and begin to, to collect and hoping to, to receive a profit. So he was a man of wealth to begin with. He was one of those guys that you have to have money to make money kind of idea. And he obviously was successful because it says he was a man who was rich. And a man who was rich would not be seen running or climbing a tree. When you're a Jewish man in Jericho and you're rich and you're wealthy, the last thing you do is in the street in the midst of a crowd is pull up your garment and take off down the street sprinting to time your 40 or to climb a tree. It's something you did not do. But yet he has this longing and this desire to see who Jesus is. And his only way at that point was to run down the street ahead of the crowd and climb a tree. Totally humbling himself. I want to see Jesus at whatever cost. And so he sprints down the road and climbs a tree. Verse 5 says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So you've got this man who runs down the street, climbs a tree. You've got a short man in a tree now. Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he gets to that spot. Again, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to go and to die for us and to do what God is doing. I mean, the height of his ministry is about to happen. And he's got to pass through Jericho on his way to get there. And Jesus takes time on his way passing through to stop at the place where Zacchaeus has climbed a tree and to look up and say, hurry up and climb down. Because I must stay with you today. He uses a term. There are two very interesting terms used here because Jesus says, I must stay with you. The same way in chapter 4, verse 43, it's at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he's in a town and they're wanting him to stay. And he says, no, I must go and do the work that God has called me to do. And to go share about the coming kingdom. He uses the same term. I must stay with you. Not only does he say that, but he, is he obligated? Does he have this must statement? But he says, I must remain with you. Same term used in 1 John. John is writing, or the, the author of John is writing, of 1 John, and saying, and he's describing believers and those who know Jesus. And the term he uses throughout the passage is remaining in Jesus. To describe those who have a relationship, who have found correction for brokenness, that are a part of the family of God. And Jesus uses the same term and the same concept for a man who is a chief tax collector. Again, like I said, he's employed by Rome. He's contracted out by Rome to make a profit off of taking money from his countrymen. That's typically called a traitor. This man was not seen in a positive light by those of his countrymen that he lived around, his neighbors. But yet Jesus specifically stops on his way to Jerusalem to die for us, to tell a man to get out of a tree and say, I must go remain with you today. It's a really neat concept to see Jesus stopping and specifically reaching out to one individual. Get out of your tree and come down here because I'm going to stay with you. Verse 6, it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly, or rejoicing. So he responds. Jesus comes and clearly says, get out of the tree. I'm going to your house. 
And Zacchaeus responds to God. He responds to Jesus. He climbs out of the tree and rejoices and welcomes him as his guest. It goes on in verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter or complain. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. If we go back and look throughout Luke, just like the, the rich man is usually not, the rich people are usually not successful, Jesus typically is hanging out. Like the tax collector is a normal friend for Jesus. In chapter 7, verse 33 or 34, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus says, you guys described me by sitting down and eating and drinking and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus' normal friends, his normal acquaintances, those he was around that he ate with, that he stayed with, were sinners and tax collectors. And this crowd says, and they begin to complain, he's gone to be the guest, he's gone to make his lodging with a sinner man. If we go back to chapter 18, if you remember the story that we just read about the blind man, you got a blind man outside of Jericho. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus gives him sight and the entire crowd goes, praise God. A blind man has received his sight. Moments later, Jesus is walking through town, stops to specifically call a short man out of a tree and say, I'm going to go remain with you at your house. I'm going to make my lodging with you. And there's going to be a conversion experience. A man is going to find restoration. And the crowd goes, ungodly, unholy, sinner, man. Hello? Same crowd. What are you guys doing? We have the tendency, I think, at least as Americans, as the norm, or American Christians as a norm, to do the same thing. We have a baptism service and either, you know, dads, moms, children are baptized and praise God. This is fantastic. Raise your hands and worship because God is amazing and he's bringing sinners to redemption. Yes. Last October, we had wear a purple shirt to support the homosexual community at Flower Mound. And we said, unholy, ungodly sinners. This passage should be so humbling for us. This should be a slap in the face for some of us. That it's not our job to choose who's worthy. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. And Jesus calls us as followers. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, believe in me, this is cool, and I got you. Here we go. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and walk in my footsteps behind me. Guess where Jesus' footsteps went? To the homes and the tables 
of ungodly, unholy, sinner man. Passage goes on. Since he's going to be the guest, he's going to make his lodging to bring honor to a sinner man. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said, or Zacchaeus being stopped, said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He goes on, this unholy, ungodly sinner man who's been called by Jesus. He's got this desire to see who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus specifically stops to engage this one man. Get out of your tree. I'm going to remain with you. And this encounter brings this man to a point where in his home he stands up and says, Lord, I've been wrong. Jesus, I'm broken, and this is what I'm going to do to respond to that. This encounter with Jesus has caused him to go, I'm selling half of what I have, I'm giving it to the poor, and whoever I've wronged is going to be repaid four times what they're owed. Takes us back to the story of the rich ruler. This rich ruler approaches Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they run the list. Jesus runs the list here. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't murder on your father and mother. He goes, I got it. Done. Since I was a boy. Go ahead and stamp me and tattoo righteous on my forehead because I'm there. And then Jesus says, sell all your possessions. Give it to those who are in need and follow me. And he walks away. But yet, here we have a story of a, a rich man who is culturally, who is religiously unclean. Who responds and says, I'm selling what I have. I'm repaying where I've been wrong. And I'm following you. Jesus goes on and says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too, a son of Abraham... It, to is, they said Abraham, excuse me. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Or he came to seek and to save that which was destroyed. There are two lessons that we want to pull from today, uh, from this passage. One is obviously just the presentation of the gospel. Scripture is clear that we're all broken, that we all need God, that we're all sinners. I mean, it, it's clear if we go back and look at the rich young ruler, Jesus says, here's your list. He says, I got it. And he gives him something else. and He goes, I'm out. Regardless of what we've done, we're out in being righteous. We're not there and we have to have forgiveness from God. And the story of Zacchaeus is of a short man who came to know Jesus who has a relationship with God that found correction for his brokenness because Jesus stopped and specifically called him. And he responded to God. Our second lesson that we're taking from today is the fact that it's not our place and it's not our job and in fact is wrong for us to make judgment calls. It's, it's right 
for us to know what's right and to know what's scriptural and to teach our children and to raise them that way and to live a way that God has called us to live? Yes. However, our main call as Christians and our obligation is to follow Jesus. And in following him, we have to love people that are ungodly. We have to love those five people that are around us that are our neighbors. We have to love the people at work. We have to love the people that don't like us. We have to love the people that make us uncomfortable. We have to love the people that we don't like. Following Jesus is loving God and loving people. And sometimes we miss the boat. See, this when Tara and I, when I was in the water and called her into the water, hey, get in the water, daughter. It wasn't like that. It was a little sweeter. But she jumps in and I just turned around and said, hey, we're going to wakeboard and put her on the, on the wakeboard. There aren't many five-year-olds who have wakeboarded yet. And so, I mean, it was fairly, it wasn't a safe thing, but I did it anyways. And so, grabbed her on, said go, and we took off. And she's standing in between my legs, holding the rope, and we're doing little jumps as we go. And she responded to dad with, dad said get in the water, I'm jumping in the water. Dad said you're wakeboarding, I'm turning around and I'm holding onto this rope and doing what dad says. And it has started the process of her learning to wakeboard. Her responding to me brought about something that most five-year-olds haven't done yet. One, because I'm just a cool dad. And then two, because she responded and did what dad said. The same with Zacchaeus. He's in a tree. Jesus stops and specifically calls him out. Zacchaeus, get down. I'm going to your house. And he responds to God. He finds blessing He finds hope. He finds peace. He finds content in life. He finds relationship with God because he responded to God's call. Some of us are in a place where God is calling. If you have not found Jesus, if you've not come to a point where you recognize I'm broke, I need God. The call from Jesus is repent. Recognize that you're broke and believe in Christ. Put your faith and trust in him. It's exactly what Zacchaeus did. Not only are Tanner and I involved in this wakeboarding thing, but there are people in the boat who are watching this take place. Her mother was one of those uh, folks in the boat. I I don't know how many of you guys are moms and want to take care of your kids. When you stick a five-year-old in an unsafe situation and dad is doing it, typically mom will be like, hey, whoa, hey. Not Ryan. She had the camera taking photos. As we're doing this, way to go, fantastic. Again, not not the safest thing. And people in other boats who would have been watching or seeing this or hearing about this may think, that's bad parenting, which maybe it is. But they miss out. The same as this crowd who's watching this happen. Hey, we're so excited about the blind man. And then Zacchaeus gets down and are you kidding me? They're missing out on the blessing, on the joy of what God is doing with a broken man. And again, we don't get that choice. 
are calling following Jesus is, you get to love people. Congratulations. Welcome. Welcome to following Jesus. And we are all broken. We all need correction. Once we find that and begin to follow Jesus, our job is to love God and to love people. Being the ones that are unlovable. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up and, and uh, conclude our service. Dear God, thank you for today. Uh, thank you for another chance to study your word, um, to worship you, to, to hear from you. I pray that you will um, use us this week. Uh, to reach out to our neighbors, friends, co-workers, those who are around, uh, to love God. Uh, again, we thank you for life. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for uh, this weekend and our celebration of being free. Again, we just thank you again for another time to come together to worship you and all you've done. In your precious name we pray. Amen.